With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of the Haters TV podcast with, as always, your host, Charlie Willard. And today, join with me, uh, we haven't got Nick we have got another Mr. Haters, and that, of course, is Jerry Cox. Jerry, how are we doing? I'm, I'm really good today, and uh, really excited to see our old friend is our Kinsella in here from the from the Standard. He's come hot for it from the paper. Um, breaking news, really. One place to start, wow. I think. Yeah, it's just um, literally breaking right now that um, Manchester United have agreed a £60 million fee uh, for Mason Mount. So, £55 million up front, and then £5 million in add-ons. So... Yeah, I mean, it's one of the big transfer stories of the summer, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're yeah. a Chelsea, you cover yeah. Chelsea. It's your, yeah. your beat was with Goal.com, now yeah. the standard. This is the one that probably most Chelsea fans didn't really want to happen, isn't it? We know yeah. they've got to offload players, but I think mm-hmm. Mason Mount was really yeah. popular, wasn't he? I think he was a yeah, popular character, homegrown. He's like, sort of almost took on the mantle a bit of, of with Reese James, as sort of a Mr. Chelsea type figure that Lampard and and sort of John Terry had back in the day and you thought maybe these two academy boys would be at Chelsea forever I certainly did actually for a long time think that they were just going to be around it all and build a new new culture so for Mount to go out I think that's the hard part is that you can't really picture him in another team shirt really yeah. I've been watching him play for Chelsea since he was about 16 years old um, when I first was aware of him but he's been at the club since he was 8 so uh, it is quite shocking to see him go away but um, yeah Chelsea just couldn't agree terms with him the contract negotiations didn't go very well so uh, with one year left it's pretty sensible actually to accept £60 million for a player it's actually quite a good fee for a player with just one one year left in his contract no matter sort of the emotional side of it it's good business in a way right yeah and as well they've gone yeah. almost bang in the middle because uh, yeah. there was complications wasn't there with the with the price especially a player like Mount you want to get it right yeah um, 65 million I believe Chelsea wanted Manchester mm. United were so so set on that 55 million yeah. so it looks like they've gone bang in the middle I know and um, Manchester United was sort of really set they said we wouldn't go over 55 million and now they're sort of paying 60 million but I guess they could argue it's only 55 million up front, so um, maybe in a way, and maybe the add-ons are quite hard. We don't know what the add-ons specifically are yet, um, like how how you know how they would sort of be payable. Sometimes it's like if they win the league, if they win the Champions League, if Matt wins the Ballon d'Or, that kind of thing does come into play with add-ons. So um, it'll be interesting to see maybe if those details ever come out. But um, yeah, certainly I think both clubs can be relatively happy. That's why sort of these deals happen. It's because all parties are happy, and also let's not forget Mount in this because he did want to leave and, and that's the unfortunate part is that he was ready to leave. He wasn't renewing his contract and, and he was going to go somewhere. He was going to go to a big club and it, and it ends up being Manchester United and that's, and that's, and that's you know, a good move for him. And I think he'll be happy with that. And, and from their point of view, mm. for United, I mean, he's a great player. He's, he's, a, he's an England international, Chelsea's mm. player of the year for two years running. But there are fans, and, and you're from mm. Manchester, you, you'll probably know someone, 
there are fans who are saying, is he the player we need? I mean, what's he going to yeah. give United? I think we see it with England and Chelsea fans that sometimes they're a bit scathing of Mount. He mm. doesn't do enough in some people's eyes. He's maybe not exciting enough. Um, I remember when I was covering England during the last World Cup and uh, Declan Rice was asked about Mount again, you know, why do people they not like him? They're best friends, right? <laughs> but he, I think he put it really well. And, you know, this is a guy who knows football and considers it really carefully. He said, he's not really the example of what people expect from an attacking midfielder in that he's very... Uh, tactically aware, uh, very you know technically good, but he doesn't do that Jack Grealish sort of dribbling. He doesn't quite have the spectacular balls of Bruno Fernandez or James Madison. So he's kind of more of a conservative player, but he's really physically impressive. Never gets injured. Seven out of ten every week. Really tactically good. I remember the Champions League semi-final when Chelsea went on to win the competition. Mount was exceptional against Real Madrid in the semis and he, he was very tactically aware where he could join attacks and when he had to drop in midfield and he, he sort of smelled the danger in the game really well and was really influential against one of the best midfields in the world so I've seen Mount have unbelievable games I think he's going to be a great player for Manchester United and I think that they need a player because watching them last season Ericsson sometimes tired a bit he got injured for that spell as well and they were a bit lacking in mm. midfield and, and we know Man United's midfield has been a problem for a while so with Casemiro as a really solid holder I think they can afford uh, a mount a really good number 8 to shuttle in uh, up and down alongside him with sort of what Bruno does and what Ericsson does uh, and as well he, yeah. he, you mentioned his strengths but he's also a player that can add your goals and assists yeah. I mean not last season but the season before over 10 goals 10 assists yeah. I believe and it, again a player of his quality and an English quality as well which English yeah. clubs love having a, a top quality English player yeah no especially Manchester United that's what Sir Alex Ferguson used to do didn't he he always signed the best from Britain so Wales, Scotland England and, and Ireland so uh, yeah it's great that we have uh, you know Mason Mount uh, just at this sort of level I think it's good for him to move on in his career if he wanted to move it would have been it would have been horrible for all parties I think to see him just sat around at Chelsea his contract's expiring not playing his best I mean I think to be honest last season the contract situation was part of what made him play not as well as those seasons before that you mentioned so yeah when he's at his best he provides goals and assists and yeah he's a good player really good technician and touching on some more outgoings one that uh, is 100% confirmed uh, as of yesterday which is Kai Havertz yeah. uh, I want to get your opinion on this because I know there was a lot of people in world football uh, that was very shocked to see Kai Havertz go to Arsenal was you one of them people to see that see that happen was it quite shocking for you as well well I remember when sort of I was I was sort of looking at the transfer window after the season had ended and it, it did feel like Havertz was going to leave to be honest he did have two years left on his deal rather than one like Mount so maybe Chelsea could have dug their heels in maybe tried to ride it out convince him of the project but similar to Mount he did want to leave so um, again you cash in you've got a big bid 65 million or 67 million maybe it was in the end so um, yeah it's kind of like yeah let him go but then to go to a rival it's quite hard but the other thing about sort of Mount and Kovacic and Havertz going to rivals is that Premier League is the strongest league in the world now uh, and I mean financially is, is the important aspect so Chelsea had a bid on the table from Real Madrid that was much lower but they go and accept much more money from Arsenal and and that's what Chelsea wanted to do so if you want to sell abroad you can get less money um, and maybe send them there but actually it's a lot easier to sell in, in to your rivals so maybe sometimes you have to consider it especially if the player wants to leave so they kind of have ended up doing that with Havertz and with Mount Mm. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on it earlier, seeing yeah. uh, Mason Mount coming through the ranks at, mm. at Chelsea. Declan Rice, his big mate, coming through as well. Who would yeah. have thought, you know, seven, eight years on, those two would be going in the same week for such big money? I mean, it looks like it's been going on. Charlie's been following yeah. this all every single day. <laughs> Chaos. Every day. Chaos. He's obsessed with the Declan Rice deal. Yeah. But it looks like that's pretty close to completion now as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and again, that's... 
I mean, he's one of those players that Chelsea sort of let through, look, let slip through, didn't they? Yeah. You know, Kevin De Bruyne and Mo Salah, you know, yeah. will they look back on that and regret it, do you think? Yeah, kind of. I know Rice has spoken about it a bit, but he was kind of let go because he was a bit too languid. He, you know, he had a massive growth spurt in the academy and a few of the coaches thought he technically looks really bad because, uh, you know, when you have a growth spurt, sometimes you, you can't really control your feet as well yeah. as, as before. So, I mean, countless players have this happen to them in their youth career, get kicked out. Um, and even at West Ham, apparently, they weren't totally always in love with him until sort of he got towards the first team. So, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of had that, you know, all his career, all his youth career that he's had to prove himself. And I think that's actually part of what makes him tick and what has what driven him to the top, you know. He works harder than anybody else. He's he's really worked on his game. Um, I even remember one of his first England appearances, I spoke to him and he said, I said, like, what do you need to improve to sort of make sure you stay in the team? And he's like, I need to be able to move the ball quicker. Like, you look at some of my teammates and they do it. And of course, he made his England debut pretty close to when Mount did. So yeah. it seems like their careers are almost side by side, best yeah. friends, which is quite heartwarming. They do help each other a lot. And, and I'm sure they would have been text each other gossip like, about their own transfer scenarios during this uh, summer. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny that they both go at, a, at such a time. But, I mean, the Rice deal's solid. I think he always wanted to go to Arsenal. I think I remember the first time I got wind of it was like January when he was totally, um, he totally seemed set on Arsenal. He seemed to almost make the decision then. And it was just about doing it and also doing the job for West Ham and then sort of getting the deal over the line after that. And he, he certainly did the job for West Ham, winning the you know, the Europa Conference League and then getting the transfer. I know there was a bit of thing, you know, with Man Manchester City coming in late, but I always felt it had to be Arsenal for him because he just they just had a great plan for him. I think he really believed in that plan, believed in what Arteta wanted from him. I think also, let's be honest, Arsenal need him more than Manchester City. So in every single way, I think it's a perfect fit for him. So it's, um, I think, uh, yeah, it's a great transfer for both the player and himself, and also West Ham, great fee. Wow, yeah. 105 million. I think they should be happy with that. But that's the going rate now for a top English player, isn't it? With Jack Grealish going mm. for similar money. And what are they going to do with that? Because you know, we all yeah. we all remember Spurs really squandered most of the Gareth Bale money, didn't yeah. they? Probably only Ericsson yeah. was the really successful out of those seven they bought. Mm. So for West Ham now, it's really about making sure they don't waste mm. that money the way Spurs did. That, yeah, it can be goes. tricky. It can end up falling into a trap of buying many, many replacements like Spurs did, and, and none of them are that good. So, uh, yeah, I think they need a midfielder, of course. So that'll be a thing. Uh, one of the main things they go for, strikers certainly on the agenda. Yeah. Um, letting Skamaka go, letting him go on loan probably, rebuild his value maybe sell him the summer after and then get a striker in. So I think that those two are really hype the agenda at West Ham. Mm. Now, one of the reasons you were late, and we, uh, we Charlie mentioned at the top of the hour, Evening Standard, so it's a London paper and it comes out during the day and, go, and it's, mm. it's breaking news all day. Big story you've got there, uh, well, Mount Sale will free mm. up Chelsea to buy more. Um, Potch starts Monday, that was one of yours today. Yeah. And he has got a lot of, lot of work to do, hasn't he? It's such a big turnaround of that. Yeah, a lot to get out. Yeah. Any more coming in? Um, yeah, there will be. I think the first one, we will have already got Christopher and Kunku in. Um, they're going to bring back Levi Colwell and Malo Gusto from loan spells at, at Brighton and Lyon. And then they're going to, um, you know, look towards the you know midfield, I think. Uh, obviously, Jackson as well from Villarreal. There's a striker coming mm -hmm. in. So that one, medical done over the weekend. Not been announced yet, but should be announced very soon. Maybe tomorrow um, to, to, to lift spirits after Mason Mount leaves. Um, and then, yeah, you've got, uh, you've got sort of a, a midfield situation to sort out now. They've sold so many midfielders. Uh, we mentioned Havertz, we mentioned Kovacic, we mentioned Mount, but also Kante has left for free. So 
there's there's a lot of midfielders going out, and Mo- Moises Caicedo is the main target, um, yeah. and he has been for a while. Um, I think that that I think that that should happen. I think that um, it's going to be a substantial fee. Fee is the hardest thing. The player wants to go to Chelsea. Brighton will let him go for a large fee, but um, I think that you know fee is going to be the issue. So it's just a case of how much now at this stage, and and that's something to thrash out. But looking at Chelsea's bank account, especially after the Mount deal, um, shouldn't be a problem really. Yeah. Uh, before we do continue with the uh, amazing transfer talk, first of all, we want to say thank you, Nazar, for, for coming in. Uh, I just want to give a, a quick shout out here uh, from Annie B. Um, it says uh, he says thank you for watching. MM says brilliant channel. Nathy says wow. Um, there's a lot of uh, amazing people in the chat right now. Um, but as well, I want to quickly say, please make sure you do drop a like, subscribe, and of course turn the notification bell on because, as you can see, the production levels are on their way up, people. Let me tell you that. Um, and more podcasts uh, and amazing videos from us uh, are going to keep it coming. Um, but yeah, back to the chat. Um, let me know as well in the comments where you're watching from. Uh, that'll be amazing. I know we've got a few people uh, across Africa that always tune in for haters, so that's amazing to see. Um, but what I want to quickly he- uh, see here, Annie's actually donated and said, why weren't Chelsea in the rice hunt? Which, funny enough, Annie, you read my mind. That's actually <laughs> my next question. Because he's a Chelsea, yeah. he used to play for Chelsea in the academy. Chelsea fan as well. A lot of his uh, friends and family as well are Chelsea fans. Um, and I know a lot of Chelsea fans are going to be disappointed to see mm. him play for Arsenal. Um, was it ever a case? Because I know that he was probably linked with Chelsea during his uh, time at West Ham. But was there a, a real strong possibility that mm. he could have a blue shirt on? Massively. At certain times of his career, it's been a huge possibility, I think. Um, when Frank Lampard was manager, it was, it was pretty much his dream to bring Rice in to, to join the midfield. And, and Thomas Tuchel really liked the idea as well. But there's been... I mean, even in the Abramovich era, there was a bit of uncertainty around Rice from Chelsea, surprisingly. I mean, some of the reasons why they released him, they didn't think quite think he'd got his technical game up to the level that they'd want. You know, Chelsea have always been a possession team in recent years, not quite that gritty team that we remember from Jose Mourinho's era. They've certainly evolved into another level um, of sort of technical ability. So I think that they've gone down a different route and not maybe thought Rice would be a great fit. Of course, the cost as well, increasingly, um, not only um, sort of like the transfer fee, but the wages would be very high. English players as well, they're not going to sign these eight-year deals that Chelsea have been putting players on. They're just not interested in it. I mean, Mason Mount didn't want to sign a sort of eight-year deal, that kind of deal. Um, and, and it's very rare to get an English player on that. So I think that also the fact that Mount was on his way pretty much since about February I think Mount's been sort of heading towards the exit door so you know when your best friend's leaving the club that maybe you wanted to both join and play for and certainly they'll have had conversations about that um, as another factor and and also it kind of coincided when Arsenal sort of locked down Rice it was around January I thought where they just sort of really you know made sure they were in a strong position for Mount for uh, sorry for Rice for this transfer window so Arsenal really locked down that transfer Man City came in, but I just felt that Arsenal were always in control of the situation. It was just about price, just about getting it right with West Ham, and, and they did. So, um, yeah, I thought Rice, loads of times he could have gone, but not during this transfer window. It never felt on the cards during this specific transfer window, and not really during this ownership either. And It never felt on that much. I was about to say, the ownership, I think, has a massive uh, factor into maybe why Rice didn't join, because... Uh, as such the state of the club has, isn't exactly as healthy as it, it has been yeah. a lot of money's been spent so do you think that's maybe the biggest factor out of everything here yeah I think that's that's it really yeah I think that Rice probably would have had his pick of all the English clubs and maybe Chelsea not in the strongest position right now and then coupled with some of the other factors like Mount leaving, like the contract situation, just Arsenal getting in his head as well um, just never felt on so yeah certainly 
Rice to Chelsea has not really been on the agenda. I've not really been thinking about it, and I don't think they ever seriously were in the race this time around. You just reminded me, actually, mm. when you said about Frank Lampard wanted to bring mm. Rice in. If you were, I think you were there at the end, mm. towards the end of the season, one of the last games, he did a little breakout with us, and he said, um, mm. we were talking about Erling Haaland, mm. and he said, yeah, I, I recommended him to the board yeah. when he was a, as a manager the first time around, and this was before Haaland joined Dortmund, yeah. and the board didn't really think he was good enough. Well, they didn't think he was a player that Chelsea wanted to sign. So you can add that to the list of ones well, that got away, yeah. can't you? Well, yeah. Manchester United also missed out that time yeah, around yeah, as well, yeah. so it wasn't easily done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it just shows you, doesn't yeah. it? You know, sometimes yeah. the manager spots one and, and yeah. the board don't agree and they don't always come through, do they? Yeah. So. Maybe Lampard had some good ideas as well, but yeah, um, unfortunately, that's a, almost a sliding doors moment that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Now, talking about Potts, Chelsea... Uh, there's an obvious fit there mm. and the story's come out yesterday about Harry Kane mm. building a house long term where he wants his future his, his family to be in Wentworth which is not mm. far from Cobham the training ground which has inevitably led to stories that mm. maybe Harry Kane will go to go to Chelsea on a, <laughs> on a free maybe next season when, yeah. his, when his contract runs out at Tottenham I mean could you ever see that happening? I mean, I think Pochettino would love that and uh, Daniel Levy would hate that. So, yeah, yeah, the end of their friendship for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that it could only happen on a free transfer. Yeah. And even then, maybe Kane would feel, you know, uncomfortable about it maybe. Yeah. I think that he might consider... I mean, you can always go away to Manchester for a few years and maybe upset people a bit less than doing that. But um, it certainly would be controversial. It would be almost um, Saul Campbell-esque. Well, that's it? the one yeah. I was thinking yeah. of. I mean, he's never been forgiven, has he, for that one from, no. from Tottenham fans? So, yeah, it's, mm. um, it's playing a little bit dangerously with his legacy yeah. if he does that. Um, I certainly think from Chelsea perspective, you'd be interested. Um, and I think they might have a need for a striker next summer as well, especially if they don't sign another one, because they might be going to the season with Christopher and Kunku up front alongside Armando Breuer and also um, Jackson, Nicholas Jackson. So two inexperienced ones and not a proper striker. So Well, they've got yeah. one on the books, yeah. Lukaku. Well, yeah. So, yeah. And that's true. a big what's player to have on your cards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've also got Aubameyang as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we think, I think we can assume Aubameyang's going or yeah, gone, but, yeah. but Lukaku is still a major player, oh. isn't he? And, you know, it didn't work out the second time around for him. But uh, is there any way back? I don't think so. Not for him. I think for Chelsea, they would maybe be open to it. But I think it's become very clear recently that there's no way back for him in his mind because I think that it's almost traumatic, the experience he had at Chelsea. Mm. You know, He's really lost the fans. Does he want to come into an environment where he's up against it right away? And that's potentially what it would be. So um, he's rejected a lot of offers from Saudi Arabian clubs. I think it's Al-Hilal, the club, that's really pushing for him. And, and Inter Milan is the one he wants. So he's kind of waiting it out, hoping the two clubs can come to a deal. But Chelsea have said no loans for him or for pretty much any senior experienced player right now so they're just trying to sell everyone everyone's for sale in that sort of category of Lukaku you know Koulibaly Mendy a lot of them have gone to Saudi but the ones who aren't going to Saudi they still want to sell them Mm. so I think they're happy to sell him if he wants to go you know Mount wanted to go um, Havertz wanted to go and now Lukaku wants to go so yeah, it's probably the best and easiest thing to try and get him out of the door relatively quickly. And that number nine is a, mm. is a jinx, isn't it? The number nine shirt at Chelsea. For, for 10 <laughs> years or more, it's been an absolute, you know, know. who would take that on there? Credit to Aubameyang for taking it, but it's not worked out for him either. Yeah. But yeah, And he said that, didn't he? He said, yeah. I don't mind. I, I don't think <laughs> yeah. there's going to be a jinx, but wow. But the, the, the striker option at Chelsea, we're actually, in our first podcast, by the way, and if you haven't checked it out, please do with Darmish. Um, we were talking about the striker option at Chelsea and MM in the chat as well, shout out to you, has said the exact same 
thing. Um, what is your thoughts on the striker situation at Chelsea? Because we mentioned Lukaku, we mentioned Aubameyang, but for me, the last striker I can remember at Chelsea that really, really delivered was probably Diego Costa. Yeah. The, the year they won the league, of course, he was absolutely fantastic. Fabregas in midfield as yeah. well. Chelsea haven't really had too much of an issue, maybe in defence, maybe in midfield. Their striker and scoring goals mm. has been the real, real problem, yeah. especially under Graham Potter as well. No goals really at all. Yeah. So where do, how do you assess that? Is Jackson the man to fill that spot up front? Or? I, I, I'm a bit nervous about Jackson. He's young, he's unproven, he's a bit of a rough diamond. I, I, wrote, a, I wrote a nice piece about him that's, that's coming out soon on, on the standard and sort of looked into his background. But he's really, he's really only had you know, two or three months of, of great football where he's really um, dominated. I mean, even at Villarreal, he started the season on the bench. Um, Unai Emery had him in and out a little bit when he was managing there, now at Villa. Um, so he's kind of had to really prove himself this season, and he has, and he's done really well, but I just don't think he's established yet. So we can't guarantee he'll be a success, I think. Um, yeah, I, maybe, they, maybe they're really clever, Chelsea. Maybe they've found a gem that they can you know, turn into a top player. So that, mm. I think that that's what they're thinking. But they're going to have to do some work with them, I think. And uh, same with Breuer. Um, I really like him. He's a great talent. But He should be fit, shouldn't yeah. he? But it's whether he's he a, a goal machine, which yeah. he's not really, is he? He's, he's more a no. wide player who can come in and score goals. Well, I think he could become a, a goal machine, but he's just sort of finding his feet at this level, mm. I think, a bit. So... Um, I think that Pochettino has some work to do around the forwards, but I think just having, I think the most important thing really for Chelsea is almost tactical. It's looking beyond this. It's, it's about building a team spirit and, and hopefully some people step up with goals. I mean, Sterling's in the past has got great goal returns, so you can get goals from other places. Liverpool get the goals from the wings, so it doesn't have to be the front end, does it? Mm-hmm. But Pochettino, you know, he loves that sort of. Um developing young players he likes that sort of family spirit mm. can he get that at Chelsea or he, he's still got to clear out a few more hasn't he we, we've seen yeah. is it Loftus-Cheek going today yeah, yeah. Ziyech is gone as well there's quite a lot of those players who are squad players seem to be going as well yeah, they um, still a few more to go yeah, still a few more. Pulisic, maybe. Um, yeah, Pulisic. Um, I think that maybe um, you know, there's a, there's a few others. There's Aspilicueta's. You know, his future's in doubt. Um, big, big one, really. You know, legendary player. Uh, Trevor Shalabar might leave. I think. Um, so there is a couple more. Um, and then I think that Pochettino's really building something from scratch here. Chelsea were in such disarray last year that I think that there was a lack of sort of team spirit around the dressing room that needs to be fostered um, need to improve the fitness levels of the squad need to just build an identity a tactical mm. identity when you've had four managers you don't have a tactical yeah. identity so that's what this preseason is going to be about he's going to have two weeks at Cobham and then three weeks in America and then he's going to come back to the UK for one more week before the season starts uh, at home to Liverpool so um, he's got to do a lot in that time yeah. and, and almost start with players who don't know each other that well as well going to be a few signings loads of goodbyes it's a bit of a bittersweet summer for Chelsea but actually they've sold players so fast that they might be in a good place for pre-season mm. that Poch can start building all the things I've just said it's a similar situation mm. when he went into Tottenham because mm. they, he had to get rid of a lot of dead wood which was from yeah. the Bale signing he had a core of good young players so he brought through yeah. Harry Kane Ryan Mason Andros Townsend and so on and then he fostered that team spirit. He had a young Deli Alley. Ericsson was the one, still young, who was, who, who was a success with the bail money. Yeah. Um, so, and, and Eric Dyer had just come in as well. So he had that young, hungry core. And that's mm-hmm. what he's got to do. But it took a year, really, before he, 
he got that going yeah. and then of course they were you know they were just pipped to the title that year by Leicester and, and you know they had a real go didn't they for four yeah. or five years yeah it was an incredible effort wasn't it I think that that season though was a bit you know all the big teams seemed to be in disarray didn't they so that's yeah. why Leicester Pepper went and won the arrived, league yeah. Pepper just arrived yeah and the, the other teams weren't really ready to be as dominant forces and now you've got Manchester City who are a bit tough so uh, to beat so the landscape is a bit um, trickier I think for Chelsea mm. but they've got to really start from sort of square one and just sort of build up and I'm not expecting too much from Chelsea right away but um, I think they've got the right manager in absolutely for what, what they've got to do so in a way I'm really positive but in a way I'm also like this is going to take time yeah, um, yeah. yeah. for you as well uh, for me for me, watching from the outside yeah. with Graham Potter the sort of the relationship between him and the owner is really really important isn't it mm. especially with the owner buying players maybe I, I found that Graham Potter looked to be quite oblivious at times with some of the players that are coming in mm. so do you find the key factor going into this season is Potch really mm. creating a good relationship with Todd Bowley yeah. to then not only have an impact on the pitch yeah. but then it adds a massive impact to, to fans watching yeah. around the world you definitely have to manage upwards in these clubs mm. and in these top jobs and uh, and Pochettino had a tough we talk about Spurs but he's at PSG as well which was quite tricky so he's got a bit of that chaos at Chelsea maybe to deal with although it does feel a bit more controlled now than, than last season already because they've got two good sporting directors in one from Brighton and one from Monaco so yeah they've got um Paul Winstanley and Lawrence Stewart and they're doing the business more more than Todd Bowley so he's taking a step back he knows a bit of what's going on but he's not doing the day to day so they've got like dedicated football men in the job now so hopefully that will also help and um, Chelsea will be a bit more coordinated and and you know keep people happy that they need to keep happy which they failed to do last season and also you know make more considered signings I think it felt sometimes like they'd They'd sign people too early. Maybe you know, there's there's the four players for this one spot sometimes last season, so they can't be doing that again, and, and they need to move to a more considered approach. And to also uh, ease your headaches on how many articles you have to write on how many players Chelsea yeah. are signing. January was a bit of a shock, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that. One a day, two a day, wouldn't it? Um, but as well, let's go back to the chat. Um, we see uh, so James D has said, any news on Lofter's cheek? I know Jerry just mentioned there. Is that a full done deal now to yeah. uh, to AC Milan? Yeah, just just an announcement um, and that's it. You know, medical's been done, so we're just waiting for the announcement. So, yeah, it's pretty cool to see him in. You know, I, I, another one, you're, you're quite sad that he's gone. He's Mr. Chelsea as well, a bit like Mason Mount, um, even more so maybe because he's from the area. But um, I think he needed it, didn't he? And um, it's lovely to see um, one of our players going overseas and, and maybe he can start pushing himself back into England reckoning if yeah, he's Tammy did well tomorrow yeah. he's done well you know and he's, he's going to get a bigger squad role at Chelsea he always seemed like a bit of a bit part player never really established himself still did one well one position was there, there was, he, yeah. he was just they'd fit him in everywhere like a Swiss yeah. army like when you know. start playing wing back it's probably writings on the wall right yeah, so yeah. I think for him that was the time maybe that where and he's always sort of waited it out at Chelsea but I'm really I'm really happy that he's been brave enough to go and pursue this opportunity just one quick question yeah. about Poch because we we were in that briefing mm. uh, with Todd Burley, the new mm. owners, when they came in and they did a sort of mm. off-the-record briefing about, you know, Graham is our man. It's a long, it's a five-year project. And then, you know, a few months later, he's gone. I mean, yeah. Potts, you'd think he's going to be there long-term, but there's still no guarantees. I mean, I, yeah. just before coming in, I look back on, uh, I've been covering Chelsea since the late 80s, so mm. 34 years. Yeah. Pochettino is the 28th manager mm. I've dealt with in that period at Chelsea, going back to Bobby Campbell, right? <laughs> And in their first 60-odd years, 62 years, they had seven managers. Yeah. They've had 28 in the last 34. Yeah. So long-term con- uh, manager sort of reigns at Chelsea just 
haven't happened, have they, for a long, yeah. long time? I think the he I, will need time, won't he? He, he needs a, a few years to turn it around. He, I think. he will need time. I hope the expectations are realistic. So he'll probably get a bit of a sense of that on pre-season, like how realistic the expectations are. And I'm hoping that you know Europa League finish even would be acceptable for him because I think that that. That would be a relative achievement coming from where they've come yeah. from. And with all the new players, a lot of them are very young. So try and do that. I mean, the Premier League as well is harder than ever. Everyone's rich. Everyone's rich now. Everyone's won the lottery in the Premier League. So yeah, Chelsea won the richest teams in the league, but they all are now. Villa are very aggressive in the transfer market and Newcastle. Newcastle. So it's a lot of players to deal with. Mm. So um, yeah, I think that that's going to be tricky. And um, yeah, just think that um, Chelsea do want a long-term manager. They have for a while. I think for the old owners wanted Tuchel to be the man potentially, um, but then new owners had different ideas. So it's just like always. There's always something in Chelsea's um, sphere that, that that pulls them off course. And um, certainly mm. they wanted Potter to be the main guy, but um, and now they want Poch. So I think they do want that. He's only got a two-year deal, which is a bit concerning. But I think there's good faith there that mm. they want him to be a long-term manager and, and we'll see football is chaotic and uh, most clubs are but Chelsea seems to be just that little bit yeah. that, 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 loads of Spurs fans yeah. wanted Poch back didn't they yeah. um, and from what we gather Daniel Levy didn't even pick up the phone maybe because he mm. just thought it's not going to happen here don't come back yeah. but what do you think of Postacoglu because I think there's there's been a mixed reaction but I think mm. most Spurs fans who got sick of the sort of Mourinho, Conte, mm. Nuno style of football. It was very defensive, wasn't sort yeah. of Tottenham style. They're quite excited about him, aren't they? Yeah, I think he's a good, probably project manager, which is nice. I think that that's what they need. I think maybe, you know... Daniel, they need a reset as well, don't they, They Tottenham? need a reset as well. Daniel Levy's idea was probably, you know, with Mourinho and with Conte, we need to win now. And mm. they didn't really get there, did they? And it's unfortunate. And then the club's left in a worse position. Now they're left picking up the pieces, needing a manager to start and build a culture because... I think a lot of Spurs fans are also similar to some Chelsea fans are a bit disconnected aren't they with the mm. club and it's been oh, yeah. a pretty abysmal season as well it's a similar outcome to what Chelsea had um, just maybe a bit less chaotic and then some of the good players are getting older Kane might move on at some point maybe even this summer um, so yeah it's a, there's a lot to do for Ange but I think it's a maybe a good fit um, he's, he's, he's seen as a progressive manager course it's a step up for him so we'll see how he can do in you know the most difficult league in the world and that's probably where the the slight unknown is because he's been in sort of lesser leagues for most of his career mm. and, and Madison's a good step up a good sign of intent yeah. as well because he's an attacking midfield player yeah we, we get the impression Ange wants to play on the front foot doesn't we yeah. and I think that's what Spurs fans want to see isn't it yeah and I think my um, colleague Dan Kilpatrick who covers Tottenham a lot he, he made a great yeah, we know comment. Dan, yeah, yeah. he made a great comment where he's just like it's as close as Spurs can get to like a, a definite a definite sort of quality player because it's, it's just we know he can play in the Premier League and we know he's an England international so with Spurs in the market that they shop in it's an absolutely exceptional signing and and you know what he could compete with players like Mason Mount that's what he's looking to do he's looking to outshine you know those sort of rivals so he can play in, in, in the Euros with, with Gareth Southgate and mm. maybe he can maybe he can and, and Postacoglu um, and Pochettino are sort of very similar in the sense of they're two managers that have come into two clubs that are in dire need of a good project. Mm. Um, have you found that's been the biggest similarity with them two this yeah. going into next season? Yeah, I think so. I think they'll be both sort of doing the same job really as each other. Um, maybe 
Potter will have a bit more budget than Ange but um, yeah I think that that's probably where they'll be and um, yeah um, I also think maybe Spurs have a better squad than Chelsea right now so it's a very very similar situation and, and those two teams are probably right up, a, up beside each other in the table so um, yeah they're direct competitors now as for next and, and interestingly I mean, and Spurs fans won't want to hear mm. this but what um, Burley and Bedard, Bedard were saying about the uh, what they were do, hoping Graham Potter was going to bring they looked at the Arsenal model and the success they got with Arteta, sticking with a young manager who had a, a clear pl- way of playing and giving him time. And that really came well, came good for Arsenal last year, didn't mm. it? And Chelsea were basing their plan on that. And they probably are to some extent. And maybe that's what Tottenham need to do, yeah. is start looking at what, Chelsea, uh, what Arsenal have done. Yeah, I think that Chelsea really viewed what Arsenal did really um, positively and, and they thought Potter could do it. And I think that they really waited till the last minute. I mean, fans are really calling for his head. So, uh, yeah, I think that that a lot of clubs are looking at that. You know, it took it took didn't really take Guardiola time, but it took Klopp a lot of time as yeah. well. So he's actually the blueprint, not Arteta, but Arteta certainly a recent good example. Mm. Um, and, and going back to um, we mentioned Moses Moises Casado, which mm. arguably is poor. Well, he's up there with one of the biggest deals, I think, of the, the summer transfer window, potentially, um, maybe behind Rice, because Casado's been linked with a lot of big clubs, mm. hasn't he? Not just in this window, in January as well. Um, of course, January, that saga with mm. Arsenal, everybody knows about um, him pleading almost to let uh, to, mm. to say to Brighton, can I leave to go to Arsenal? But this window's a little bit different. Now Arsenal have nearly got Rice, um, not 100% confirmed yet. Manchester United and Chelsea are in the run for it. The fact that Mount... Uh, as the, the the deal has been agreed for him to go to mm. Manchester United, do you feel like this has opened the door even bigger now to, for Chelsea to secure his signature? Yeah, I do. I think they need to get that midfielder in. Just need the numbers for one, um, and then I think that financially they're going to be very strong. I mean, there was this sort of talk of a soft deadline for Chelsea, so it was like 30th of June, which is the end of the accounting year. Chelsea just spent 600 million across the last two transfer windows, a world record. So now they've brought in about 200 million, which helps balance the books so um, I think they could feel a bit more confident going into the market for who will be their most expensive outlay in the market and I think that we'll start to see Chelsea being aggressive probably from next week and, and coincidentally Pochettino will be in the building which is, which will be very exciting and how much do you do you see that transfer being because again correct me if I'm wrong but I believe Casado was around 75 million Arsenal were, were yeah. willing to to give up and that was in January so yeah. is that going to be around about that figure or even more yeah I think maybe slightly more than that figure but I don't think much more has been talk of 100 million I don't think it'll be 100 million but they will try and benchmark against Bryce's fee so you always look at who else has moved in the market and and um, you know Brighton might argue that Casado is just as good as Rice and I think some people do think he might even be better so um, they could try and um, benchmark against that but there is a soft agreement apparently between you know uh, Roberto De Zerbi and Caicedo that he can leave if, if a certain type of bid comes in and it's the next N'Golo Kante isn't it I mean he's, yeah. he's that sort of player it looks like he's got three lungs fantastic he yeah. just gets it everywhere on the pitch yeah. doesn't but, he? but much bigger <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as well this is this is also a very similar deal to, to when Mark Cucurella went to, to mm. Chelsea from Brighton so maybe the relationship's already there and this moves me on nicely to um, what me and Jerry actually discussing off camera before you before you arrive today is how does the relationships between the clubs work when when transfers happen because I think what we've seen haven't we Jerry in the last it's got to be over five six years now is that relationship built between two rivals in Arsenal and Chelsea yeah I mean we've seen Petr Cech go Chelsea legend by the way yeah we've seen David Luiz Willian um, not, to mention, not to mention Fabregas yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and now Jorginho Jorginho Kai Havertz mm-hmm. 
is it quite crazy how two rivals can almost let the players happen? Because the, the transfers that have happened have been mm. quite smooth, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And Giroud was a great player, wasn't he? Not Simon Giroud, Actually, Cole, yeah, that yeah. wasn't so smooth. No, yeah. it wasn't, no. <laughs> um, Does it help? I, I don't know. I think that there is sort of that tension and stuff still with the deals, but certainly I think there's a pragma- pragmatism in modern football. The, the chairman always go and meet up and stuff like that. So I think generally the club's... Are like positive to each other's faces, but they maybe slightly have some problems behind mm. each other's backs, and I think that that's sort of how the relationships often are. But certainly, Chelsea have a good relationship with Brighton. They've gave Brighton a lot of money lately, and uh, and also they've they've taken the sporting director from Brighton. So there's actual you know genuine friendships, and, and in football, people accept that you're going to move around. So you know there's people working at Man United who used to work at Chelsea, same with Liverpool and Man City and all this kind of stuff. So there's mm. a lot of that going on. And my theory on the on the Chelsea Arsenal bromance, if you like, it is, is a bromance. Is, is is that they, they both hate Tottenham yeah. and you know there's no chance that Tottenham are going to do business with Arsenal and Chelsea especially after, like yeah. you say after uh, the Sol Campbell deal right. for example things like that but if a player wants to stay in the capital you know there are still three clubs of biggish size that they, that they can go to so yeah. it, rather than go from Arsenal to Spurs or from yeah. Chelsea to Spurs or vice versa it's easier to go from Arsenal to Chelsea and vice versa. Isn't I know, it? I know. Chelsea and Spurs rarely do deals and similar with Arsenal. Yeah. And, and also, the, the good example of this is Pochettino. So there was a sense that he would never you know, move across the city to Arsenal. But with Chelsea, he was sort of willing to do it. So there's mm. another one there as well where there, there's that sort of sense of a little bit of rivalry. But I, I don't know. Maybe actually Spurs fans are quite upset about the uh, move as <laughs> I well. think they will be quite yeah. upset, to yeah. be honest yeah. I think yeah. there's a lot of Spurs yeah. fans who just sort of still yeah. would love to see Pochettino at Tottenham and they'll, they'll, they'll just find it really upsetting to see him yeah. leading a, a Chelsea well, team I, I, especially at the, at the Tottenham Stadium mm. that would well, be a strange one Tottenham have had a lot of Chelsea managers as well to be yeah, fair yeah, yeah. even if they've not had a lot Jose. of Chelsea players <laughs> Conte, I think that, Jose I think that what I was told Bowers. one fan told me it's fine if they're not successful but if they're successful then that's, that's when it stings yeah, yeah, yeah. that is yeah, when yeah, it stings yeah. Yeah. Um, and Nazar I know we've had so many questions uh, for Darmish on our first podcast um, and I'm going to ask you a similar one um it's always interesting being a, a journalist working in and around a transfer window, not just in the season covering games. Um, one, my first, it's a two-part question. First one, how much of a headache do you get through sort of trying finding out, trying to dig out information, and, and how has your relationship been, and how do you find your information as such yeah, to make yeah. sure they are as a, a reliable source as such? Yeah, well, uh, try and have a broad range of sources. I think is important. So if you're just a one guy, one source wonder, then you might get some stories, but you're kind of waiting out, waiting around another day. So yeah could be anyone from you know anyone who works in the game basically and uh, you know the closer to the action the better so that's kind of kind of how you how you sort of source stuff um i'm always on the phone unfortunately always on my whatsapps my whatsapps are flying up i don't know how many i'm gonna have after this and uh, yeah um you know twitter facebook and all that and and kind of building a social following does help as well and and being consistent so getting things right and being consistent then people come to you more and trust you more and the audience trusts you more as well um so kind of like it's like almost a cycle of, of of constantly doing it and doing it well will help you so the longer you're doing it the easier it is to do as well so um i've found that over time but yeah also going to the matches and meeting people so like when i when i go to the matches i try and meet people who have sources and also working with other journalists if you have a big story they might be sniffing around as well Sometimes it's worth working together, especially overseas with with other reporters who may be close to the action at other clubs, and and you can sometimes be sold 
bad information even from like big name sources so it's always good to check it out with a number of different people see what the, the situation is and, and often people have different opinions of what a situation is as well so the Mount situation was a very emotional one going from one big club to another so that would be a good example where try and get a few different sources a few different voices telling you what the situation is and you can present it in a much better way and I remember being at the World yeah. Cup with you yeah. and we were talking about going out for a bite to eat maybe a drink and uh, he said oh actually I've got to go and meet a source of mine and yeah. uh, uh, you know, firm up a relationship yeah. out there, and even even in the middle of the World Cup in Doha, where we yeah. were doing what two games a day at times, yeah. it was that mad period, yeah. wasn't there? Sort of fought, what, twenty-eight games in fourteen days, I yeah. think. At one point, yeah. um, you were still getting out there, meeting your new sources, and getting little bits and pieces, weren't you? You've got to recognise the opportunities which the World Cup was. Loads of agents, loads of chairmen, loads of that kind of stuff down there, watching the games, enjoying the hospitality, but also doing their own business. So it was important, I thought, to, to try and get out there a little bit and um, and see people and. And yeah, London's a great spot for it as well. London's one of the cities that it really is where football happens. Even Manchester United, a club in Manchester, has an office, office here. here. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My other memory of the World Cup with you was sitting next to you mm. in that Morocco-Spain game. Mm. Because you're half Moroccan, yeah? yeah Moroccan yeah. heritage. Shout out Morocco. And, uh, <laughs> shout out Morocco. <laughs> Big shout. And that moment, the, the winning penalty, mm. uh, a little fist pump under the table. Very professional, <laughs> yeah. like, like a duck. You know, yeah. calm above water, below, below the desk. It was <laughs> I, think it's good to, I think it's good to mention to the viewers, by the way, that we're actually not allowed as, as journalists reporters to celebrate goals or anything like that. It's, oh, not, yeah, so it's not etiquette. It's not etiquette. It's, it's been done. Down, it's yeah. been done, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon the Morocco yeah I don't really do it but uh, yeah that was that was just too much for me to yeah hold in I've got a little video of that yeah, actually of you yeah, doing that and uh, we'll, we'll put that out one day <laughs> <laughs> guys uh, as moment. well please 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 make sure we've got about five minutes or so uh, before we all end the live so please do keep your questions coming in um, we'll have maybe a few minutes at the end to list off some of your questions to Nazar who again has taken time out of his busy busy schedule uh, to come into the podcast studio today um, and as well of course please drop a like on the stream if you are enjoying it um, but back to the, the transfer gossip as such. Um, let me see if there is any questions in the chat. There is loads of people letting us know where they're from in the world as well, Jerry. We've got Ghana, Nigeria, Uganda, Sweden, Brussels, um, all over the world. I think my question actually to Nazar uh, on, on your life stories as such, what's been one of the, the best story transfer stories that you've covered mm. throughout your time so far? Well, I'm trying to think. But um, yeah, I mean, I, Chelsea just generally recently has been absolutely <laughs> mad and brilliant. I mean... The new owners covering that story was really fun, especially in the beginning. I mean, it's fun and tiring, it's all the same, but um, that summer going away on pre-season, when they're signing players like Raheem Sterling, he's coming into the camp, you're kind of there in America and you, you're kind of seeing them for the first time coming into the group and seeing what it's like. That's quite... I quite enjoy that. I do enjoy pre-season for that reason, especially around, you know, big transfers. So it might happen this summer, I'm going... To, with, a, with, the, with the team to America and not just Chelsea but I think this time Fulham um, Brentford lots of other teams will be there as well so Wrexham they're playing Wrexham, Wrexham aren't they Wrexham, yeah, Wrexham. Yeah. I mean they've, they've gone, huge they've gone big time Premier League in four years would you I, say yeah. I've never <laughs> seen Wrexham it's so a great be, uh, story hopefully meet the owners so, yeah. incredible <laughs> yeah. everyone wants to meet the yeah, owners yeah yeah unfortunately yeah, so yeah, that's that's, um, that's that's probably some of the uh, most exciting transfers. Definitely. And what, what what's the one story you think is just going to rumble and rumble? There's always one yeah. every summer, isn't there? Do you think it's Kane because the Bayern Munich one's there, isn't it? And he's not he's not batting them away. He's not he's no. not saying one thing or another. I've heard no. it's just the money. Yeah. That's what I've heard as well, as well as the fact that he maybe doesn't want to go abroad with his family as well. But yeah. I've heard the money's been yeah. a real issue. Yeah, potentially. I think. Um, you know, but he's, where's he going to move this summer? If he wants to move this summer, it's probably going to be abroad. Man United have been scared off 
from bidding because Spurs, you know, Spurs used to not sell to London clubs. Now they just don't sell yeah. to anyone. United <laughs> used to be a preferred destination, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, Berbatov, yeah. Carrick, you know. Well, they've caught Man United up a lot, so that's that's yeah, kind of happened, hasn't yeah. it? So um, it's kind of like, yeah, he can't leave. So it's kind of, it could just be that he's stuck on a free transfer. Then we go into January, and he could move then because it'll be even cheaper. Do you take mm. do you take forty million from them and and the sort of cash in on him and, and try and sign a striker so and it's quite interesting and I don't think a lot of the viewers might know this but with with sort of transfers especially strikers and goalkeepers if one falls it's like buying a house then another one goes and another one goes so you'll see a rapid because money's moving around the market you'll see a rapid cascade of so Spurs will sign a striker maybe they go for a Jonathan David or something from Lille and then Lille will have loads of money they'll sign a striker and everyone's signing strikers all of a sudden because there's money in the market and it usually takes the biggest clubs to start that so it could be Bayern Munich it could be Man United it could be Chelsea and usually it just the money starts sloshing through the system it's like a domino effect as mm. such yeah 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 absolutely but I mean, goalkeepers as well because Man United are in for Andre Onana so Inter will then sign a goalkeeper and then people will sign, be signing goalkeepers left right and centre mm. yeah. and the other thing with Kane obviously is yeah. you know Daniel Levy's just put a new manager in place is he going to say to him right here's the squad but by the way we're, we're selling our best player it seems a strange message to send out, doesn't it? It does. I think maybe that's it. And, and you've got a new manager coming in. Is it ideal for him to build a system when you lose your leader? And, and you're going to lose Lloris as well, right? So mm. at Spurs. The two most senior players. Probably Dyer as well. So that's three of the sort of senior squad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot. Again, that could be a, not as mad as Chelsea, but actually, if you're looking at the characters they're losing, it is it's significant. Isn't mm. It? Well, Jerry, um, I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add. I think in the comments, we're, uh, we're just flying with how many countries are watching us right now, by the way. We've got Kenya, we've got Jamaica, uh, we've got Sweden, Uganda, we've got all sorts. Anything else you want to add, Jerry? Well, I was just going to say that's the worst Jamaican accent I've ever heard in my life. That's, that's up there with Clive Tilsley's sunshine, yeah, I think, that one. I try. <laughs> Listen, I'll just stick to presenting. I'm not going to carry on with any impressions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are, we're at 45 minutes on the dot, by the way. So thank you so much. We've still got over 150 people watching us right now. So thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Nizar as well, who is super, super, super busy uh, in pre-season on the transfer. So thank you so much for taking your time nice. uh, to come in. And of course, Jerry, thank you uh, for, for joining the hot seat uh, as well. But for myself, Charlie Willard here in the Haters TV podcast studio, which, by the way, we are absolutely flying out the videos uh, and content for you. So again, please do make sure you do drop a like, subscribe, hit the notification bell as well because it will alert you whenever we post any podcast videos and remember it's pre-season we are going to be out there covering pre-season content for all the big big clubs so yeah of course please make sure you do subscribe uh, and as well let us know in the comments any other guests you want to see come and join the hot seat where Nizar is right now uh, but yeah for myself Charlie Nizar and Jerry Jerry Cox thank you so much for, for listening and watching us and I'll catch you in another episode of the Haters TV podcast